Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to uh, Daniel 5. Daniel 5 is on page 695 of your church Bibles. Uh, it's also in your service sheet. So we uh, get to uh, a new king. Uh, the history's moving on tonight. And uh, we meet King Belshazzar briefly. So Daniel 5, beginning in verse 1. And uh, I'll be reading the whole chapter, which again is is a bit long, but that's, that's all right, isn't it? Uh, we've been listening to long passages for the last few weeks. Uh, this is God's word. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the gold, golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His Limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, became, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they cannot show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. 
And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was was made like that of the beast, and his dwellings was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind, and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put round his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Never count me out. We hear people uh, say that, don't we? Often it's, a, it's an athlete, you know, someone who's, who's come from behind, the underdog, uh, who, who comes out and, and, and ends up winning the match. They'll, they'll look into the camera of an interviewer and they'll say, never, never count me out. And Daniel, we're hearing God proclaim, never count me out. Coming from God, it's, it's more of a warning than a boast, isn't it? We hear this uh, throughout Scripture in various forms. Like in, like in Psalm 14, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You don't count him out. You're, you're a fool to do so. This evening we see uh, some incredible foolishness. Uh, history has, has moved on from, from King Nebuchadnezzar, this, this great king of Babylon. And we meet uh, who we suspect to be his grandson, Belshazzar. More on him in a moment. But Belshazzar has a, has a problem. And that is that he, he hasn't learned the lessons of, of his father or his grandfather, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And instead he counts God out. He assumes he, his, his gods, who he, who he toasts in this, this party, are greater than the one true God. But the lesson of, of Daniel, repeated over and over again, it for, and it's repeated over and over again for the sake of God's people in exile, is that that God is there, that God is not silent, and he doesn't countenance fools lightly. And we see this in, this evening in, in just two points, two, two simple little points. One, 
We see an epic blasphemy. And two, we see the God who demands our attention. So first of all, let's, let's look at this, this epic blasphemy. Uh, history is, has, again, moved on from Nebuchadnezzar, the, the great king of Babylon. Uh, he conquered much of the known world, uh, including uh, little Israel. And he, he brought Daniel and his friends back from that nation he, that he's conquered into exile. And last week we saw the, the triumph of God's mercy and grace in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. He, God, God corrected him, didn't he? Uh, once again, his, his, his sin was, was great. He was defying uh, the, the message of God. And yet God, uh, in his mercy and grace, calls him back, even though that was, that was a painful episode, wasn't it? So what happened to Nebuchadnezzar after that? You know, it seems like he had true faith, didn't he? What happened after that? Well, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say. We've jumped ahead. We've jumped to Belshazzar. There's a lot of things left as unknowns. And why was that? You know, why doesn't Daniel recount the, the glories of, of living in a, in a kingdom with a, a king who actually fears God and has professed faith? Wouldn't it be, be a, a better proof of God's existence and his goodness and his work if Daniel had talked about what Nebuchadnezzar did after, after his conversion? Why does the, the narrative just move on to more apostasy? Well, the best answer we have to that is that the whole point of Daniel is to remind God's people in exile that he's in control of, of all things, including the kingdoms of this world and, and the kings of this world, even if those kings refuse to acknowledge him. And that, I think, uh, what, I, what I think is, is, is meant to suggest is, to us is that uh, actually, living under an unconverted Nebuchadnezzar is not necessarily, or, or excuse me, living under a converted Nebuchadnezzar is not necessarily the norm. Often we we live under the kings that would that would see God's people oppressed, but that shouldn't cause us to despair, because Daniel tells us that God is with His people. So we come to Belshazzar, and the Bible is less concerned with with a, a detailed chronological history of, of the Babylonian Empire. And so we have to look outside of the scriptures to find out more of the, the details of who uh, Belshazzar was. There is no record of a king, Belshazzar. And, and so the most likely explanation is found in King Nabonidus. And he was uh, the last king of Babylon. And he had a son named Belshazzar, who he... Uh, put in charge. He made him a regent over the kingdom while Nebuchadnezzar made his, his royal residence in a, in a place called Taman, which is uh, in the south of the kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar was so unpopular that it said that, that the people were, were pleased, that there was really actually even, even celebration and joy when the city was captured by the Medes. And so as far as uh, our scripture is concerned, it's referring to Belshazzar as, as the king. He was, that's because he was, in essence, the king. He ruled even though he was the second person in the kingdom. He, he still ruled over the kingdom. And this, this is alluded to actually in verse 7, isn't it? When he, he makes the offer to, to uh, his, his wise men that, that whoever could tell him the meaning of this, this, uh, the, these words would be the third most powerful person in the kingdom. Why not the second? Well, because Belshazzar was, in fact, the second. 
So then why does scripture refer to Nebuchadnezzar's Belshazzar's father? Well, in, in, this is common in the ancient Near East. And in ancient Near Eastern languages, uh, there wasn't really a word for, for grandfather or great-grandfather. So they often would simply be referred to as fathers, even if they weren't the direct biological father of the person in question. So all that gives us a bit of the key background. Let's get on with the scene. We have Belshazzar, and he's having a big party, isn't he? Uh, he's got a, a thousand of his, his lords gathered together, and they're, they're partying hard. And this isn't mentioned up front, but, but what's alluded to at the end of this story is that this party is actually taking place while the city is under siege by their enemies, the Medes. This is, again, information filled in by the historic record, but the, the story goes that, that Babylon fell on a single night and that Belshazzar had a big party while surrounded by the army of the Medes. Now, why would he, why would he do that? Because he thought the city was impenetrable. It had enough uh, stores, enough food and water to last for two years, so he thought he could easily outlast any siege. So what do, you, what do officials do? when locked down. Well, we've, we've been hearing about it for months, haven't we? Especially this week. Now, I'm shocked number 10 hasn't claimed this as a historic precedent. Yeah, they certainly have it, don't they? What, what, what do you do when you're locked down and you're, you're an official in the kingdom? Well, well, you party. And that's what Belshazzar does, does isn't it? Belshazzar has this, this whole party going on. He he does the, 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 the one thing his father, I'll still refer to him as his father, but he does the one thing that, that Nebuchadnezzar never had the guts or perhaps the stupidity to do. This is where we have to remember back again to chapter 1. The very beginning of this whole exile, Nebuchadnezzar conquers Jerusalem and he sacks the city and he carries off both their best and brightest people as well as sacred vessels from the temple, items that were used in the worship of God, the holy God of Israel. And presumably these had been, been in storage or, or maybe in a, in a trophy case kind of thing uh, well, for, for years, decades. But now Belshazzar orders them to be brought out, doesn't he? And it's a party and the, the, he's got the enemies at, at, at the gates. And so what does he, what does he do? What's he going to do? Well, he's going to do to those enemies the same thing that they did to, to the Israelites. You know, he says, look at me, I'm, I, you know, our gods are going to overcome theirs. Look at me, I'm, I'm drinking out of the very vessels used by the Jews to worship their God. Who can stop me? And they raise a toast to their gods. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This is, this is classic arrogance, isn't it? <coughs> He's chest-thumping, isn't he? Belshazzar's uh, incredibly confident. He's trying to get the thousand lords there to, to be confident as well. He's rallying these guys and, and trying to get them over on, on his side, to rallying them to his cause. And the, the level of arrogance and stupidity is, is astounding. And yet this man is, is, is actually a reflection of the, the heart of all of us. It's the heart of, of any man in rebellion against God, isn't he? Sinclair Ferguson compares Belshazzar to uh, the rich young fool in, in Luke's gospel. This young man uh, who only craved more and more and he, he took advantage of others to get it only to find that, that at the end of the day, 
his soul was required of him. And then what happened to his belongings? Well, they were, they were divided up and given to others. You see, this is the very nature of sin that's, that's so rampant in our world. It's like drinking salty water from the ocean. It does, it does nothing to, to quench our thirst. But rather it makes us more thirsty so that, that we drink more and more, not realizing that it's, it's, it's the thing that's actually killing us faster. This is where, this is where the rich young, young fool was. And this is where Belshazzar is. This is where all of us are. We're hoping that we can survive and even thrive in our own strength. That we can be smart enough and good enough and strong enough, wealthy enough, powerful enough. That we can love ourselves enough to overcome any obstacle that we face. And what Belshazzar shows us is the devastation that happens when we stubbornly double down on our own strength. He believes himself to be untouchable. And he believes that, that his gods of stone and metal can overcome anything. You know, this is a, a guy who, who really believes in himself. And that's what we're told we need, right? We need to, to believe in ourselves. To accept ourselves. To love ourselves. Well, Belshazzar has self-esteem to burn, doesn't he? Yet he ends up dead hours after this incident. What happens to his kingdom? It's, it's divided up between his enemies. Belshazzar would leave a legacy of, of utter pointlessness, wouldn't he? History barely remembers him and, and doesn't even, it, it doesn't even matter whether history remembers him or not because he's dead and he's under the wrath of, of the God he denied. That's, that's the nature of our world, isn't it? You know, and that's, that's where we're all headed. And when you're in your, your teens or your 20s, you think life is long and you, you'll, you'll live forever, but you, you still you know, wisely look, look both ways before crossing the road. At least most of you do. I hope you do. When you're in your 30s and your 40s, you start uh, buying life insurance because you never know what could happen, just in case. When you get to your 50s and your 60s, I'm not, I'm not sure what happens. But, but the point is that that life gets shorter and shorter. And we, we don't know the day or the hour when our souls will be required of us by God. And Belshazzar didn't know either. And he didn't care. And the result for him was, was devastating because the God whose vessels he was drinking from, the God who he thought was weak, who he thought his, his grandfather had conquered, is in fact the God who is in control of all things, even his, his very breath. And he refuses to be ignored, this God. And this is what we see in our second point this evening, the God who demands our attention. So they, they used to say that, uh, they, they used to say, at, at least in America, I don't know if, if they say this here, but every party has a pooper. They say this here, party pooper, you know, the, no, yeah, uh, I'm getting some nods and stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's probably a, probably just not your school, Ollie. Uh, yeah, so, so those of us from a, a certain level uh, have heard this term. Yeah, but every party has a pooper, someone who just kills the vibe, right? And, and spoils the fun. In this case, it's, it's the hand of God. You know, a hand appears and he writes these, these three words on the wall of the banquet hall. Many, many tekel parson. And Belshazzar is, is drinking out of, out of the cup from, from the temple in Jerusalem. And he looks up 
He's having a great time when he sees this hand and he, he, he sees these, these words and, and like Nebuchadnezzar before him, he's, he's deeply disturbed. He has no idea what these words mean, but he's sure they can't mean anything good. So what does he do? He does exactly as Nebuchadnezzar did before him. He, he calls in the magicians, the enchanters, the wise men, the Chaldeans to tell him what these words mean. And if, if anyone can tell him what they mean, there's going to be a great re- reward for them, isn't there? They're going to be the third most powerful man in Babylon. Again, uh, Belshazzar is the second, and the first is on a long-term holiday in the south. So the wise person who can tell the meaning of the words would be the third most important guy in the whole kingdom. History repeats itself, doesn't it? None of these guys brought in could, could tell him anything about it. They were stumped. This is the third time this has happened uh, in our short series. So I hope by now we're starting to learn not to trust the, the wisdom of this world. That's the obvious point, isn't it? Don't trust the wisdom of this world. The, the king keeps asking these same guys who are meant to know everything. They're meant to have all the answers, and he keeps asking them for help, and they can't give it. If we seek our, our wisdom outside of the grace of God of, who, who created this world, and who's revealed himself in, this, in his word, then we're, we're, we're not going to get satisfactory answers. And any answers we get, even, even ones that are partially right, have to depend on the wisdom of God. So once again, these guys, no, no clue whatsoever of what this revelation straight from the hand of God means. But lucky for Belshazzar, and by lucky I mean providentially, because that's the whole point, uh, the queen remembered this this guy who developed a bit of a, a a bit of a reputation in the last regime for sussing out these sorts of problems. So why don't you call why don't you call him in and see what he has to say? And she's referring, of course, to Daniel. So who knows where Daniel's been since Nebuchadnezzar died? He's probably on on the the latter end of middle age or, or older, and he's he's been nearly forgotten. It seems. That's once again, the, the kingdom has forsaken the true God in favor of their old idols. And so this, this guy, Daniel, gets, gets pushed aside again at some point. But he's, he's brought in, and he's given the, the same proposition as the wise men and the enchanters of Babylon. Verse 16, now if you can, can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And, and Daniel says to him, what? You can keep your stuff. You can keep all that. But I'll tell you the interpretation. And you get the sense that, that he knows that anything bestowed on him by Belshazzar is going to be very, very, very fleeting, isn't it? And he recounts for the king a, a bit of recent history, uh, at least recent for us. We've read all about the last few weeks, so I'm not going to I'm not going to go into all of the detail, but it's all about how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar and called him to, to, acknowledge, to, to, to acknowledge the one true God and ultimately this, to serve this one true God. But Belshazzar has refused to follow in Nebuchadnezzar's footsteps, and he returned to, to the false gods of stone, and he's, he's lived like like the younger King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and rather than, than showing patience and, and humbling this new king, the one true God has brought judgment on him. 
It's a striking thing, isn't it? I, I think the, the way that Daniel describes it in verse 23, listen to this. Verse 23, but you have, lived up, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of, this, of his house have been brought in before you, and, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But, listen to this, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. See, the way Daniel describes God and and his relationship to uh, even a person who doesn't acknowledge him should actually shake us to our core. And his hands is, is your breath. Just stop a moment. Stop a moment and listen to yourself. Take a breath or two. You do that at the pleasure of the Almighty God. And when you walk out of here tonight, you go home and, and you, you lay down in your bed to sleep. If you wake up tomorrow, it's because the, the Almighty God has blessed you with another day whatever you you lay your hand to tomorrow if if tomorrow should come for you it's all in the hands of god and the question is will you will you honor him with with your work tomorrow will you honor him with the things you do will you honor him with the things you you think on and reflect on will you honor him with the things that you say you see the reason god demands our attention is is first and foremost so that we might understand him rightly. That he might, we might know him, how, how intimately near he is to each one of us. And how essential he is to our lives moment by moment. See, this isn't a God who's far off. He isn't a God who just kind of looks in for, out of curiosity or for a bit of entertainment. Daniel says he's, he's close to us. And when you begin to grasp that and how serious a thing it is to when, we, when we deny him or ignore him, it's a very, deadly, it's a very serious thing, isn't it? It's, it's deadly serious. It's an utter wasting of our lives to deny this God. And how petty and stupid and pointless does, does this drunken rave of, of Belshazzar with a, a thousand of his closest friends look? When the enemy is, is sitting outside the gate and he's made the God who holds each of us in his hands his enemy. See, Daniel wants us to see God rightly and, and to see our, our desperate need of him. In fact, every one of us who, who is or, or has or will walk this earth is, is completely and utterly dependent upon this God for our life and breath. And when we see this and begin to grasp it, then, then, then and only then do we, do we just, do we see what I think is our, the, the second result of our recognizing the God who demands our attention. And that is that, that we begin to see our world rightly. What happens to Belshazzar? What's left for him and, and for, for any who deny our, our great God? What happens? Well, judgment. Judgment is all that's left for those who deny our great God. Look at verses 24 through 28. 
Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter, many. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That's a pretty stark judgment, isn't it? It stands as a, as a warning to everyone in our world who, who wishes to live without God, actually. Christ tells us that a, a day's coming when, when we will all answer for our words and our deeds, and, and we will uh, all be answerable to him for those things and judged by him on them. And on that day, many are going to find themselves in, in the same position as that of, of Belshazzar. And for them, it's going to feel incredibly sudden like it did for Belshazzar. And, and that's, that's kind of the point of Daniel. Daniel calls us as believers to recognize the, the times in which we live, that the powerful and even the, the not-so-powerful of our world are at the feast of Belshazzar, and their lives and, and, and their rule and reign are, are numbered and are far shorter than they realize. That a judgment's coming, and it, it may be a temporal judgment like, like this one, meaning that the, our, our world may go on, or it may be the final eternal judgment. On either way, Daniel calls us to see our world rightly, and he tells us to feel two things. So two things I, I think we should, we should feel as we leave here tonight. First, indifference. Indifference towards the rewards of this world. You know, the thing I find incredibly striking in this passage, and it, it may just be me, is just how fleeting the rewards of this world are, even, even for God's people. Look at verses 29 and 30. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. See, Daniel was, was made the third most powerful man in the kingdom. You know, Belshazzar kept his promise. He, he gave him uh, this incredible power in this kingdom. And he, he ruled as the third most powerful person in the kingdom for a few hours. And then the kingdom was no more. But Daniel was indifferent towards it. He told the king back in verse 17, keep your stuff. I don't, I don't want it. I don't, I don't need it. He knew there was no point in honors from this man. There's a film uh, that came out about 20 years ago, I think, called K-19. It was about a, a Soviet-era uh, nuclear submarine that was really poorly built. And it suffered a, a catastrophic failure, a terrible accident. And, uh, the whole crew would have been killed if it hadn't been for a few men who, who sacrificed themselves and exposed themselves to, to toxic doses of radiation to save the ship. And at the end of the film, the, the captain had nominated these men for, uh, for, for, to be named heroes of the Soviet Union, to receive a, an honor and an award for their bravery. Now the problem was the, the Soviet Union didn't want to acknowledge these events ever happened because the Soviet Union was all about projecting power. And so they said this technically wasn't a wartime event. It was a, it was a terrible accident. And so there's no need to award these men for their actions, even though it cost them their lives. 
And the captain's conclusion was simply, what good are honors from such people? And Daniel calls us to ask ourselves, what, what good are honors from the kingdoms and the peoples of this world? They're fleeting and they're passing. And they're passing much faster than, than we realize. One of the quirks of, of evangelicalism, of, of the, the evangelical church in this world, has been that we want to get people's attention through, through our, our excellence. We have uh, valued celebrity and power and wealth and, and, and big things, you know, loud things for the gospel. But Daniel was an obscure advisor to the kings of Babylon. He would be raised up and forgotten, only to be raised up again and forgotten. And Daniel tells us that's okay. That it's okay to be quietly and humbly faithful to God. As long as we're always prepared to give an answer to the kings and rulers and peoples of this world when called upon. But not out of the desire for their rewards. We should feel indifference. The second thing we should feel is, that we should, is how we should, Daniel tells us how we should feel when living in an earthly kingdom whose foundation has just been shattered and is about to collapse. Daniel says that, that in that situation, we should feel secure and safe in the hands of Almighty God. If God is as, as Daniel describes him, if our, our every breath is, is at his pleasure, then if we are his and, and we know that he is ours, then what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear from any ruler or power in this world? Daniel says we should feel security, not from anything that we, we provide ourselves, but, but only in this, this great God who raises up and tears down. Daniel, Daniel knew which kingdom he truly belonged to. And in that day, the, the kingdom looked defeated, didn't it? Because it had literally been defeated. Nebuchadnezzar had, had defeated the kingdom of God's people. But there was another side to that kingdom. There was a spiritual side, a spiritual reality that would, that would break into the world fully and completely one day. And that kingdom broke in once in the coming of Christ. And all of us have been invited to join that kingdom through faith and by the blood of Jesus. And so if you're in Christ, then what have you to fear from this world? That's the message of Daniel. If we're in Christ, what do we have to fear? Our king sits enthroned on high, and one day he will make his enemies, the Belshazzars of this world, his footstool. Let us pray.